The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Last year, a medical cannabis producer called Hikurangi Cannabis Company came out of seemingly nowhere and broke the internet, crashing PledgeMe servers as it became the fastest local company to crowdfund into the millions, doing two million odd in less than 10 minutes. But as with most overnight successes, it was on the back of years of work. It's a long journey to change an illegal activity well connected with an area to a legal one. Locals from Ruatoria and around Natipuro and the East Coast, of which Hikurangi is a significant monga to local iwi, were given first dibs and invested ahead of the public raise. And the company that inked deals overseas that could stretch into the hundreds of millions has gained first low THC and very recently higher THC trial and growth rights. And this is while not compromising on trying to create access and jobs for people that have fallen foul of the prohibition laws. While other companies have gone out with a very medical company type branded approach, Hikurangi proudly showed their dreadlocked and raster-headed workers. This is about honesty, integrity and most importantly actually following through. The 20 plus local jobs and big milestones hit have Hikurangi as a leader, a founding member of the industry council and a beacon to many companies looking to take a community led approach to the legal cannabis industry. To talk the journey, where we are and where we go from here, founder CEO Manukari joins us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you for joining us. Hey, tell us. How was it that uh, you, you got started with Hikurangi Cannabis? Because it didn't start as a company first, did it? It was a community trust. Yeah, so 2015, um, hapu clusters, sub-tribal groups, uh, groups of marae around the coast have been, you know, back then we were uh, getting together and talking about development. In 2012, Ngāti had settled with the Crown and, and so people had kind of moved out of thinking about what that redress was going to be and then actually how to use it or what the future was going to be. So these clusters of hapu got together and uh, focus was mostly on things like education, cultural revitalisation um, and environmental protection, sort of cleaning up some of the impacts of uh, farming, 100 years of farming and forestry and so on. And the, sort of the elephant in the room was the jobs, and, and so only about 5% of the tribes still live within the tribal lands. Um, most of the families have moved away over the last 50, uh, 60 years. And the question was, how do we create something that's going to um, generate economic development and jobs for the, the area? And no one really was really that confident in doing it. Um, 
but everyone knew that it needed to happen. So a few of us got together um, and we we looked at what the options were. We got some scientists, some old, you know, old uh, some retiring scientists who had been in government service or um, involved in some innovative uh, industries over the years, land-based primary industries, and got them up and they looked around and, and they came up with a bunch of ideas and we had a public meeting. There were sort of 30, 35 people that came out to that to hear some of the opportunities and we were looking for high value uh, industries that could um, be given our geographic uh, distance to markets both in New Zealand and, and offshore needed to be something reasonably high value. We were seeing how farming and forestry, you know, high volume, fairly low value commodities um, weren't going very far, very fast. Uh, and bioactive extracts seemed like a really um, promising area. So we, we were looking at natural resources, uh, indigenous species, uh, particularly kanuka, manuka, kawakawa, um, and then looked at things like kina and shellfish and so on. And so they came up with a few of these ideas, and um, and we had these people, and we progressed some of those ideas, and, and a month or so later met again. There were 10 people at the next meeting, um, and we looked at sort of maybe setting up a trust or something that could help. Uh, local businesses. We looked at uh, Kaitaia with their um, resource recovery centre that employed quite a few people as a, a social enterprise. And there was, yeah, general support for doing something. Um, we went away, did a bit more work, a couple of weeks later met again, and there were only five people at the next meeting. I thought, geez, we better do something or it's going to be um, Panapa, who's the other sort of co-founder and myself, will be the the, the last man standing. Um, so we've, we agreed at that meeting to form a company. We appointed the five people there as the directors. We um, Very few of us had any sort of directorial uh, experience, and we thought we want to make it a – company that benefits the community it's not about private interests uh, for this entity uh, so we'll see if we can make it a charitable company we didn't even know if such a thing existed and uh, well, yeah we went away and, and set that up and uh, so yeah those five five individuals um, one's a farmer one's a, a grandmother and uh, another's a, a beneficiary um, Panapur and myself became the directors of Hikurangi Enterprises we set up that company um, and we're fortunate to to uh, get it as a charitable company after some negotiation with the people that register charities. Uh, and that was because we also set up another charity in time that was a charitable trust as a sole shareholder of that company. So the company's goal is to raise funds for the charitable trust. The charitable trust's goal is um, economic development, relief of poverty in the, the area. Um, and it's fair to say both of them have a, a goal of job creation. Um, so yeah, that those... Um, Entities were established, and then that charitable entity didn't have any money or anything. Um, my friend and myself uh, contributed some funds and some time, my time, for a couple of years. Um, we were then able to get some philanthropic support. Uh, we formed a, a limited partnership, and um, that entity is called Hikurangi Bioactive, so that's 60% owned by the charitable entity, 40% by myself and my friend. Uh, and that's really where the... Um, a bunch of activities have happened. So the indigenous uh, organisms, bioactives, research and development. Uh, we got into Kanuka extracts and clinical trials and things with those products and partnered with some other companies that were already further advanced. And, and that work got us into um, when medical cannabis came along, we were quite well set up. So uh, someone came to us one day and said, have you thought about growing hemp? And it hadn't been on our, our radar. There was a family in Gisborne who had just got a very small 30 square metre trial plot. Uh, they got their licence and they helped us uh, get get a licence under Hikurangi Enterprises. Um, 
and grow our first first crop of hemp. They've provided some seed. And uh, yeah, that was end of 2016. So sort of within a year we were uh, growing hemp. When we planted it, we weren't sure what we were going to do with it, whether it was for fibre or food or pharmaceuticals. By the time we harvested it three, four months later, it was pretty clear that pharmaceuticals and, and medical cannabis was where we wanted to, to head. That was the highest value uh, opportunity from that uh, resource. And we could see the sort of trajectory of the regulations and, and overseas what the industry was doing. So, yeah, since um, beginning of 2017, that's been our, our focus for, for cannabis. Um, and and you, yeah. you hadn't set up to do that, but yeah. how did it strike you when that idea came along? Uh, in the fact that you know there's there's a, a wonderful growing tradition in uh, the east coast that maybe hasn't always um, had the ability to thrive within um, uh, the law. Yeah, that was certainly a big factor in our consideration when we looked at hemp and thought this is something we want to do. Actually, one of the natural resources we have is that our biggest resource is our people and and. As you say, there's a lot of experience on the coast in, in growing cannabis, and it was a natural fit. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a large reason why we decided to, to give that a go. Um, yeah, and it's um, it, it has been the centre of um, cannabis production in, in New Zealand for a long time, and, and there's some real expertise there. And as, as we know, some of those um, people have suffered a lot uh, as a result of their um, decisions and, and need to... Uh, Supplement um, whatever income, other income they have with uh, cannabis uh, supply to to other parts of the country. And so interesting when you've got the background there as well of forestry being such a big, uh, you know, one quarter of the economy down there, uh, but ecologically so damaging and um, and and also on such long timeframes. To have this crop come along, it must have been amazing to think, well, we've got something that's a nitrogen fixer that's on a year turnaround that um, that that yeah that doesn't leave slash on Tolaga Bay. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm not sure how much of the land that's planted in forest will ever be planted in cannabis. It tends to be fairly steep erosion prone land which um, obviously is problematic when you come to clear fell harvest it. Having said that, cannabis comes from the Himalayas which are pretty erosion prone or at least very steep um, lands and and if we got really serious, we could um, cultivate it in you know in terraced um, areas around those hills. But I guess ultimately our goal would, and vision would be that there's enough revenue generated from the good land that's you know um, arable and, and croppable on, on the flats and, and easy country that we could let uh, some of that steep land retire. Um, and it's our work with bioactives for, from indigenous trees and plants as well that um, if we can generate another source of, of revenue for landowners that the choices um, to not plant and not to to not plant pine trees and and, um, and not to farm the land but you know the derive income from other sources is is real and um, and that's the, yeah, another big part of what we're trying to do as part of the Hukurangi group wow so like um Retire pine forest and then have kanuka or manuka. Right. Yeah, and people have seen you know manuka honey is a great example of what people thought was scrub and kind of abandoned land turning into something hugely valuable. Um, so we've got that example now where yeah, indigenous uh, uh, plants can derive some really high value product. Uh, it's just putting in the time and money to do the research and develop those products and channels to market and convince consumers that it, or in provide the science to show that that those and many of them are traditional treatments are effective um, in modern uh, medicine 
T- tell me about the journey to getting the company up and going, because uh, from from starting with that, that first trial, very quickly uh, emerged as a real leader in the industry. Yeah, um, you know, I think the media really like cannabis, and so um, we've got a story that resonates with people, I think. We're trying to do something different, um, but we were... It's, you know, we were certainly one of the first movers in, in medical cannabis um, and taking some big risks in, in that area. Um, people were saying, you know, it's not possible at this stage, don't do it. Um, and I guess, we again, we looked overseas and could see what was happening and, and decided that it was worth taking those risks and, and investing the time and money into trying to do something. Um yeah, and so over time we got some good support around the company structures and, and the idea of bringing it out of that bioactives was an important one and in, in creating a structure that would allow others to invest. And part of it was how do we create ownership, not just jobs, but real ownership for locals um, and what structures and mechanisms are going to best serve that goal. Um, so so setting up an investment company that uh, the crowd funders could invest into that would then own shares in the cannabis company was a strategic decision. Uh, and that was really designed because we knew that there's a cap of $2 million on crowdfunding. We weren't. We were going to need more than that. We were going to need institutional investors. Uh, they weren't going to necessarily want to deal with 1,500 or however many uh, crowdfunding shareholders we ended up with. So that was a need for, for this other vehicle to be, be established. Um, yeah, and, and so that those sort of... Um, Decisions and structures were put in place over 2017 um, and, and got us ready by early 2018 to, to be offering it to the public and, and going out to institutional investors. That idea of equity is so cool because if you do look at forestry, for example, where although there are good jobs for the area, uh, the fact that it's owned so far away, uh, maybe, and there isn't that kind of um, spirit of kaitiaki in the ownership when it's so far away, uh, maybe there wouldn't be slash, maybe there wouldn't be the problems of the um, discarded wood washing up onto the beaches if it was owned with a different viewpoint. Potentially, yeah. And I think what, again, we're hopefully doing is creating a bit of a model for others, whether it's families or hapuiwi or companies that want to, to do something with the community. There's a structure there now that others within, like in the Hikarangi group, within um, the community people can uh, create a similar sort of uh, vehicle for, for other ventures, um, but other but likewise others can just replicate it. We provide the um, constitutions and shareholder agreements and things and, and trust structures for, for anyone that's interested in, um, in taking it and applying it somewhere else. Right, and in terms of the ownership structure, but also the playbook for being able to go out and get a regulatory trial kind of land um, certificate or? Yeah, we're certainly um, working with, I think, up to nearly 40 um, landowners around the country who are keen to grow with us. And so we're saying, you know, well, uh, those that are keen, we can take them on a journey and, and help get them licensed. Um, and those are just the ones that have some assets and, and resources. There's also probably hundreds, um, I think we've got up to about 200 uh, Māori landowners in Tairawhiti and in other parts of the country that don't necessarily have capital beyond their, their land um, who are also keen to help get licensed and, and become growers as part of a, a, a national sort of uh, cooperative or, or network of 
growers. Um, so yeah, so there's definitely those opportunities and we're keen to work with others around those. And so in terms of that, like you're having to kind of spearhead not only um, you, you know taking a lot of uh, first-time growers or people involved in the business on the journey, but also navigate a, an evolving regulatory landscape. So what kind of um, ability do you have to plan at the moment? Because it seems like you know things are all heading in a direction where you can see the trend lines, but you can't absolutely guarantee it. How does that work with banks and oh boy? Yeah, it's been uh, frustrating and exciting and uh nerve-wracking and some of our staff and board members, shareholders are are used to uh, much more mature industries uh, and and less regulated ones, I guess. Uh, So working in a highly regulated environment where you don't know what the regulations are is, yeah, like I say, super complex um, and unpredictable. So we've got a range of uh, scenarios, I suppose, and we try to keep the options open as long as we can. And as things firm up, um, you know, we have a conversation with the officials or the politicians or the, the, the laws passed and then, you know, different things are progressing. We're able to lock down particular decisions um, and, and, and be ready to move quickly at that, that point. We've been able to maintain that first mover advantage and, and we're keen to, to continue to um, to lead in, in New Zealand. Um you, you were the yeah. first with a medical cannabis license? First company, right? yeah. I think there was a university that had a, a license um, for research. And so, yeah, first company with a medical cannabis research license and um, for, for breeding. And, yeah, first company to have THC, high THC strains added to the, the license and high CBD um, strains as well. So, yeah, we, we like to, um, to try and stay ahead if we can and we'll, we'll work hard to do that. And how much kind of give and take is there in terms of uh, the regulatory environment? I, I, I note that you know you've been a real advocate for allowing people who have fallen foul of prohibition laws, who have the growing experience, to get jobs doing what they know that are well paid and mean that crime is not needed. And, and you know, there's been a pretty frosty political reception from some and a welcoming from others. Yeah, certainly there's. Um you know, overall, I think everybody's this consensus around medical cannabis is important. It's scientifically validated. We need an industry around that to enable uh, more affordable products to be accessible to New Zealanders, um, and it pre- presents some great economic uh, development opportunities for regions and, and the country as a whole. So, I think all the politicians can agree on that part of it. Um, the details, yep. There's some uh, parties that, you know, I think a lot of it is posturing and they're looking for ways to, particularly in the opposition, to uh, sort of have get one over on the government and unfortunately some of our people are the pawns in, in those processes. Um, and, and there's also legitimate concerns that we want this industry to be sustainable and, and um, for the public to have confidence in the way things work. But um, generally the officials and the politicians we have in power at the moment seem quite keen to make sure that it is a sustainable industry, that it is going to work for everybody, uh, that the benefits are um, spread as widely as possible around the country. Um, and so generally I found them fairly open-minded and um, you know we're certainly not calling the shots but we're giving good examples of how things can work and particularly from overseas um, what the evidence is for, for different approaches. So yeah, I, I'm fairly um, impressed with the current political and bureaucratic uh, environment, uh, there's plenty that uh, people can take issue with and I, I, 
I do regularly as well with um, some of the decisions and positions um, and we just got to keep providing constructive uh, propositions that are reasonable and and give the make it easy for the politicians and the bureaucrats to support those approaches. I guess the flip side to um, the, the kind of excitement of having $2 million of uh, crowdfunding equity and a lot of it from uh, local people is that weight of responsibility as well. Like it's it's significant investments for people and there's a lot of kind of hope riding on it, especially in an industry like this where there's, there's so much kind of um, you, you know media hype around it as well. How do you navigate all of that? Yeah, it is a big challenge and um – you know, some of our people are our harshest critics, and, and there's certainly high expectations that we've raised um, in the process of raising the funds and of um, of, of sharing the journey with the, the community. So that is a um, responsibility we take super seriously. And um, you know, every time I catch a taxi and spend fifty dollars, that's one nanny. You know, I can remember them giving me that fifty dollars, and their hopes are in that that funds, and I've just blown it on five minutes sort of thing but um, but those are the things that keep us grounded we've got a staff member um, who is dedicated to those relationships with the community and ensuring that communication is happening regularly um, in maintaining the confidence of the the community and in addressing concerns when they're, they're raised um, so yeah we've had a, a hemp growing course for three years now in partnership with the local Polytech EIT, and um, that's been super popular around the country. Hundreds and hundreds of people have applied for it. We've tried to keep it just for for locals, um, and those people that are coming through that course are expecting jobs in the cannabis industry. So we need to ensure that that those jobs are coming. Um, and part of that is laying a really solid foundation to build on. So the jobs may not be coming as quickly as people had hoped uh, and part of that is the constraint of the regulations and how quickly that can move and part of it is setting up a new company and developing medical products is a complex and time-consuming process uh, but we are moving as quickly as we can and um, and we have 20-something jobs at the moment and uh, expected to, to increase quite significantly in the next year. And because Although the crowdfunding kind of makes the um, the headlines, that must be a small drop in the bucket of the amount of investment that's required to uh, start a new industry, um, turn turn a crop into bioactives, build infrastructure in an area where maybe there weren't um, bioactives being produced from 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 from, uh, from crops. Like, yeah. what, what what's involved like that? Yeah, there's certainly. Um we were pretty optimistic with what we thought we could do with a few million dollars and it turns out we need a few million more so there'll be another opportunity for people to join the journey in a few months time but um, yeah we we have technical infrastructure challenges and, and uh, at this stage it's looking uh, difficult to uh, build a a manufacturing facility close to Rotoria, um, you know putting a, a medicines factory in the cow paddock uh, with no um, guaranteed water supply or the electricity um, up the coast is really limited. Um, it presents some real challenges. We're still committed to cultivation on the coast and if we can, we're going to do extraction and hopefully manufacturing as well. But it's yeah, it's looking really tough. So we have opportunities in Gisborne as well, so it's still within the region. Um, and we're exploring, as I say, all, all options and making some decisions in the next few weeks about uh, getting on with 
some building. Um, we have the licensed facility at the moment. That's 12 k's up a gravel road, uh, purposefully quite isolated so that it can be used for breeding outdoors uh, as well as security and so on. That's getting uh, done up. It's a, a wool shed that we're pouring $3.5 million into shortly and, um, and expanding our footprint there. Um, but, you know, and again, people are like, why would you do that? It's so remote, so isolated. You're going to have to bus workers up every day and, and so on. There's, and it was a really large uh, sheep farm back in the day and, and there's, there was a school there. And so there's still housing around and some of our workers are actually moving into those, back into those houses, which is quite cool. Um, but yeah, it's, um, there's real challenges. There's challenges with multiply owned Māori land and, and uh, securing, you know, we want to build a $10 million facility on your land uh, and there's 3,000 owners or 300 owners and we need to be able to get some um, security of tenure and, and ensure that the the owners uh, in the next generation are comfortable with, with those sort of um, investments if we're going to put it on, on your land. Uh, so yeah, complex um, and we've got a an awesome team working on those complexities and, and being able to make good progress in the meantime. And a very special set of uh, challenges to navigate as well as the East Coast and, and, and through through that whole um, uh, land area, one of the few places in the country where Māori haven't been alienated from land and you still have that enormous tangle of communal ownership and um, long-term perspectives, which is so different. Yeah, and that's a great advantage in, in many ways that you know people... Um, aren't going anywhere, and and so infrastructure and things that those investments can be made because they know that they're investing for future generations um, that are going to also be responsible for the land. And uh, families, landowners are trying to make better uh, decisions in terms of the environmental impacts of of um, economic opportunities. And so we're hoping again to present um, a range of industries which have very low impact but very high economic returns and job job opportunities. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's complex, but uh, yeah, and would have made you know purely economic sort of perspective, we would have gone to a, a centre where there's already factories and sheds that we could take straight away and, and put stuff in. And um, uh, so yeah, it's been interesting that we've been able to maintain. The lead to date, um, while also navigating these mm. complexities. Well, the the um, flip side of that inalienation was like chronic underinvestment as a country in that area. I mean, you mentioned before the insecurity of water supply and power supply, and you know it's only a couple of hours up the road from Gisborne or a couple of hours down the road from Oporiki, but it's so remote in terms of infrastructure. Mm. Yes, and. Um, you know, we're looking at off-grid options and that kind of stuff, but uh, it is an unfortunate legacy of colonisation and, and just successive governments that, it's you know, it's sort of a vicious cycle of low population that then doesn't attract much attention from politicians and um, and public investment. Uh, and, and are there things now like the, sorry to jump in, like the um, regional growth fund and the uh, kind of regional focus of the government that are able to step in and see this? We hope so. We haven't had any government funding to date, um, which again, people find a, a bit surprising. Um and I think again the cannabis. We we did talk to um, government about the provincial growth fund, and um, the feeling was 
because the legislation hadn't passed, it was difficult for them to commit much or anything. Uh, so we're still still having those conversations, and now the legislation has passed. I think there are some of those opportunities, and certainly other iwi and, and rural communities are looking into the cannabis space and talking to government about support for them. So um, it may make sense to have a, a national sort of project around it that can support a number of regions potentially. And how's your journey been personally in this matter? Like, what was what was your background before this, and what did you have to kind of um, like like change up in your skill set in order to to carry so much in one project? Yeah, I've certainly never been the CEO of a multi million dollar company before, and um, my background has mostly been in youth work and community development, uh, and I guess that's kind of where this the genesis of this came from, and that kind of community. Um, development in the economic sense uh, and so yeah there's been a lot of upskilling uh, particularly in the in the investment world sort of how that all works and when we were looking for institutional investors and um, and needing to present you know sort of put our best foot forward but also to check them out and work out which partners were a good match and, and which weren't we needed good advice uh, and, and one of our commitments from the start with Hukurangi has been to get the best um, technical expertise that we can at any time, whether that's lawyers or accountants or investment bankers and so on. So, um, picking those partners has been really important, and, and investing, you know, and sometimes like, oh my god, look at their hourly rate or whatever it is, but that it super pays off for, in our experience. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, if you think it's expensive to hire the best, wait till you hire the the not best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, well, one of our lawyers is an old school friend and I thought I was going to get mates rates, but <laughs> but he's been awesome, you know, super, super good in terms of that structure, super thorough and, and um, yeah, so it's, again, prepared a really solid platform. Um, so, yeah, it's been a lot of a lot of upskilling, you know, talking about marketing and channels and categories and segments is while I did a design degree and worked in an advertising agency for a year, it, it was just on the sort of doing the design not on on actually how you develop a product and get it to market the medical area pharmaceuticals uh, industry and science uh, I wish I'd done chemistry or biology at, at university instead of design now but um yeah it's it's there's a lot of areas um, that I've had to to get to grips with quite quickly um and one of my sort of uh, skills I think has been networking and joining expertise together to make something greater than the some of the parts sort of thing. So I think that particular and Panapa shares those those skills. So together we've been able to to use those to, to create what's what's there to date. Um but yeah, no no real business background. And I really didn't think I'd still be CEO now and I said to the board I don't want to be CEO and they said, Well does anyone know more about medical cannabis in New Zealand at the moment and we'll make sure you got the support around you that you need and many of those board members are, are very, very successful business people. So um, having them and their networks uh, around us is yeah makes me feel safe and confident moving forward. Yeah, and and everyone who hasn't done it before is in the same position. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I wonder if that's like a um, yeah, yeah, something that in such a big market that's all being built as you as you go, there must be so many entrepreneurs all around the world who are just laying the tracks in front of themselves. Yeah, yeah, and you know, plenty that will fail uh, along the way, unfortunately. Um, but also plenty of cool people that are trying to give it a go because they believe in the, the co-pupper. You know, it may not be about the job creation, it's usually about the patients and making sure that we can get 
uh, effective, affordable um, medicines to people as quickly as possible. Um, so we're we're working hard on collaboration within New Zealand and overseas as well to um, to get the best out of everybody and, and um, see where there's opportunities to create success together. And tell me about that international demand because you know after getting that the, the first company to get the uh, medical cannabis license, very soon after. Big international companies were signing, uh, you know, send us everything you can grow, kind of um, or, or extract, kind of deals, weren't they? Yeah, and, and they weren't necessarily big companies, but they were companies who had uh, big opportunities to, you know, if they can secure uh, supply. So there's a number of brokers around the world, and then there's also in Canada, particularly, we've got a partner there who. Um, yeah, is saying we'll take everything you can get because we've got a massive shortage now, and particularly in the medical um, sector where uh, cannabis has been diverted to where there's more money quickly to be made in, in recreational and, and also in selling into places like Germany and Europe um, where they can get a better price for it. So um, there's definitely opportunity and, and demand there, and it's a nice place to be. And um, the challenge is to uh, get there first because everywhere in the world is now ramping up. Um, and not everywhere, but lots of places. Uh, so the you know there will in time uh, prices will come down quite quickly. I think for the commodity, and and so we see the real value long term in the um, R and D and in novel sort of product development and evidence based. Um, and, you know, and then there's the New Zealand brand, but that's only really of value in that sort of legalised over the counter um, market medical market. Just want it to be affordable and, and effective, um, and not necessarily in those order. Um, so, you know, there's there's some opportunity there, but there's definitely interest globally. Um, there's definitely demand at present. We see that lasting for maybe five years, um, and then it will start to taper off because production shifting to South America, Africa, and in Asia, who will always be able to produce it at a decent quality um, at a much much lower uh, cost than we can. And so, what does success look like in uh, in ten years' time mm. for Hikarangi's kind of family of companies around the cannabis? Yeah, I guess success looks like uh, locals having real ownership in those enterprises and that value accruing to Ruatoria and the East Coast communities. Um, it looks like sustainable jobs uh, that are well paid and safe for people to work in. Um, and it looks like us helping the world to solve problems, health problems, um, health conditions, and um, nutritional um, issues. So, um, yeah, it's sort of both the local and the the, the global, the national um, and international. So, there's lots, you know, as, as we said, lots of expectations and, and lots of hope, and uh, we're confident in ten years we're going to be in a in a good position. Um, so yeah, that's sort of what success looks like at the moment. And, and that nanny who gave me fifty dollars, many of them said, you know, I'm not going to be around to to see this succeed. I'm doing it for my mokopuna, and, and so I'm hoping that success looks like those mokopuna are proud of their grandparents for taking a punt on us and and uh, and backing us when um, lots of people didn't think it was going to be possible.
That's so cool. Thank you for sharing the journey. That's Manu Kadi, the CEO of Hikurangi Cannabis. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah. And uh, if you are interested in finding out more about the journey, head on and look at the Hikurangi Cannabis website. Uh, There's information about uh, another crowdfund that will be coming up sometime later in the year. So there are more ways to get involved in the journey. Thank you very much to Jose Barbosa for producing. And thank you very much for having us along and listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.